Just as I'm getting ready, I was something came to my mind, which has got nothing at all to do with anything of any importance. But I was at a pub quiz on Tuesday night, and do you know what the national animal of England is? The lion. I thought that's pretty cool. We've got Aslan. Aslan. You know, we've got the Lord, the, the lion of Judah. It came to me when I was thinking the lion of Judah. I'm thinking, that's not a bad animal to have, is it? The lion of Judah. The lion is our national animal. Do you know what the national animal of Scotland is? <laughs> Listen, it's worse than that. That's what I thought might be. It's the unicorn. It doesn't even exist. Does our national animal doesn't exist. You know. <laughs> Still don't exist, do they? Uh, anyway, that's got nothing to do with anything. Just that England's got a better national an- uh, national animal than Scotland. You know, you've got to have something better than Scotland, haven't you? Anyway, anyway, anyway. Uh, on to today's subject. Well, we're looking at Amos today. Amos. We're going to be looking at Amos for the next three weeks. Because uh, we've, we've, over the next couple of years, we've done a couple of minor prophets. We've done uh, what we've done so far on, on minor prophets this year: Hosea and Daniel. <laughs> we've got to increase our ability in preaching, Steve, haven't we? <laughs> We're really pleased as preachers that it's left that much of an impression. But we'll try better with Amos, right? So we're looking at Amos for three weeks. And we're not on bad ground because the Archbishop of Canterbury did a speech this week. I don't know if anybody heard it or was all in the news about his, his speech, his political speech where he talked about injustice and looking after the poor. How dare he? How dare the Archbishop of Canterbury? And he started it all off by talking about Amos and, and what he said about injustice and the poor. So we're, we're not on a, on a bad little uh, vein that We've chosen the same subject as the Archbishop of Canterbury. But I'm actually not going to be speaking on the verses that he talks about. That's in the middle of Amos. We're going to be looking at the first couple of verses, the first, sorry, couple of chapters this morning of Amos. So let's just go for a little bit of a, of a background to the, the story of, of Amos. So Amos is basically an, an unknown shepherd and probably also a seller of wine. Somebody who, who travelled round Judah and Israel selling wine and looking after his sheep in it. And if we put up the map of it uh, we've got here, you can see Jerusalem at the bottom in the kind of pinky colour, uh, the kingdom of Judah. He lived in a little village called Tekoa, which is about 10 miles west of, of Jerusalem. And from there, he would go on his on his journeys selling his wine and, and we, we know that he uh, well we're pretty sure that he preached in, in Bethel and probably also in Samaria up in Israel that's where he, he was sent to from Judah up to Israel now at this point in time it was a good time for Israel and Judah they weren't fighting they had no <coughs> obvious enemies they were living in peace they were trading they were making money they were well off. They were comfortable. Some might even say they were smug uh, in the, their situation. They were quite enjoying life. And to be honest, this had been prophesied. Uh, in Second Kings, uh, Elisha had said that this time would come. They had a bit of a tough time, but this time would come. And also in, in Jonah, uh, 
uh, as well, uh, more recently had prophesied about this resurgence of Israel and of Judah. And into this scene comes Amos. Amos comes in. And to summarize, you know, the, the, the first couple of chapters of Amos, he's, he, he gives prophecies to eight different nations, these nations around uh, Israel and Judah, and also to Israel and Judah as well. And, and what he says in summary to all these nations is, you're all doomed. <laughs> now, if you don't find that funny, it's because you're too young, right? And that's okay. Just speak to your mums or your dads or to somebody in church that looks mature and they'll explain to you why that's really funny, right? But, but we'll move on, we'll move on. So he basically says to, 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 these, uh, to these people, you've got trouble ahead. You know, the things that aren't looking great. But we're going to focus, obviously, on, on the last of the, the, the prophecies, the last of, of, uh, of Amos's proclamations, which is um, the, the one that he says to Israel. But if you think of the, the, the scene, um, Amos is up there, probably in Samaria or Bethel, or as it says there, Bethel, which is a posh way of saying Bethel. And so he's up there, and he's, uh, he's, he's preaching to these, to mainly Israelites, obviously. And he's saying, you know, the kingdom of, of Ammon, they're in deep trouble. They've done this. And, and everybody's going, yeah, these, these Ammonites, they're dodgy people. And then he preaches to about the, the about Philistines and about the other nations. And the, these Israelites are all listening to it going, yeah, too right, too right. Give it to them, Amos. Give it to them, these dodgy people. And they'd be quite enjoying, you know, this prophecy that, that Amos is giving out. You know, feeling quite smug. I don't know if you've ever felt like that. You've ever, you know, you're looking at the... the the problems that other people have got or somebody else being told of or somebody else having hassle and you're thinking, glad it's not me. <laughs> and, and you walk away, you know, feeling quite smug. I was looking at a thing called a, a, a smugness index, you know, about just how smug we, we all are and, you know, how some people can soar off the end of the indices. And I was going to put up a couple of pictures of when I put in the word smug into Google Images, you know, have a guess of the of the top two pictures that came up under the character of people who are smug. Now, Simon Cowell was up there, but, you know, there was some pictures of Simon Cowell, but there was two more often than Simon Cowell, but you can get the idea of what smugness looks like. Any other ideas? Donald Trump was one. He was up there looking... So, Jeremy Clarkson, correct. Uh, don't give him any. He's feeling smug. He's feeling smug. He was at the 9.30 service. You know, was like, <laughs> but can you explain how you feel, Steve? Are you feeling that? You know? <laughs> so, but you can get the idea of, of somehow rejoicing in other people's plights, other people's issues. I don't know, you know, if, if that's uh, you at all, but, you know, it's a, it's a negative way of assessing where you are in your life. It's a stupid way of assessing where you are in your life. Well, I'm not as bad as them. You know, it's not a good way. 
You know, and I, I want to encourage you this morning to have a positive. These peas, isn't it? Yeah. A positive, you know, assessment of where you're at with your relationship with God. Don't just be like the Israelites feeling smug, you know, hearing the other, you know, prophecies on the other nations. You know, when I was looking into this, this idea of, of thinking about how we can assess where we're at with our relationship, our spirituality, there was a, two different phrases that came to my mind. You know, one was uh, living off previous glory. And living off previous glory is where you, when you're trying to, you know, you're thinking about yourself and how you're getting along, you remember to, oh yeah, that, that, that great convention I went to, that Christian convention, that great time I had with God, or, or when God used me and I prayed for that person, they were healed, and wasn't that great? Or remember that time I spent praying with God, I just felt his presence, or when I was at church and I was slain in the spirit and fell over, oh that was brilliant. And actually, you're actually living off previous glory. That's not where you are now, but you think you're okay because in your assessment, you're not assessing the current situation. You're assessing the past situation. Don't do that. That's dangerous. It's lovely to have these memories, but we have to live in the present and look forward and take steps for the future. The other kind of of thing you can do is is what's called... called, Well, when I was first thinking about it, I I was thinking about reflective glory about living off reflective glory. And I, I went to get a, an image of, of living off reflective glory and I came across something that I'd never heard of before in my life. And it's this thing here. It's called burging. Burging is a thing. It's, it's all over the internet. Where You know, are you a burger? Are you somebody that basks in reflective glory? And it seems to be not on, on spiritual things, although it works for this morning, that people try and live off the glory of others. It says, taking pride in the achievement of certain groups of individuals, even though you had nothing to do with attaining it. Like, oh, I know this, this famous person, this great person, and somehow it makes you feel great. You know, it's not a good way to live, but people are doing that, and it's become a thing. So I need to encourage you not to be a burger. Had any of you heard of burging before this morning? Anybody cool and trendy enough? No, I hadn't heard of it either. No. But now you can be cool and trendy and encourage people not to go about burging. It's not a good way to live your life. Especially for you, Mum, either. Yeah, I know you're laughing at me now, yeah? Yeah, you know, we cannot live off reflective glory. We cannot live off the, the, the glory of somebody else in church who's dead spiritual and he's your mate or she's your mate. You know, we can't do that. Or the fact we know somebody who's dead good at this. We need to have our own spirituality. We need to live our own spiritual lives. So let me encourage you this morning to be people that have a a sensible assessment of where we're at and take steps to change our futures. Anyway, so on to Israel. So so Amos has, has gone on a rant on seven different nations and then he gets to Israel. So let me summarize the the seven things he says about Israel. Israel's seven sins. I know there's only six bullet points. I've grouped two together. I'll let you work out which two are grouped together. So this is what he says. He says that the Israelites were selling the righteous for silver. People that were innocent, people that were living holy lives, were being sold into slavery. 
to make money for somebody. He also says that they were selling the needy for a pair of sandals. What that means is, somebody wants to borrow some money. We, uh, we, you get a mortgage and you put your house up for security. If you don't make the payment, they take the house off you. Well, back in these days, if you were borrowing a tiny amount of money, you would put your sandals up for security. You know, And what they were doing was, they weren't even keeping the sandals. You were saying, you haven't kept to your side of the bargain, and I'm selling you into slavery for a debt equivalent to a pair of sandals. They were also, and this is a big, a big theme throughout Amos, and we'll focus on this in a couple of weeks' time. They were trampling on the heads of the poor and denying justice to the oppressed. Trampling on the heads of the poor and denying justice to the oppressed. That goes completely against the law spelled out in Exodus chapter 23, which said clearly the requirement to look after the poor and look after the oppressed. And they weren't doing that. Also, says father and son were using the same girl, sleeping with the same girl, having sex with the same girl. It seems most likely that what was happening was that house servants were being used as prostitutes by fathers and sons. Goes against about 10 different laws, you know, you know, breaking there in one, one single act. And then there's also, the last two are more laws to do with uh, integrity and justice and character. And they were, they said they were lying down beside uh, altars and garments taken as pledges. So what would happen is somebody was, was, uh, was making a pledge, they might leave their outer garment as security for, for that pledge. But the law said that they had to return it every evening because these garments were needed to, as, as a blanket to sleep on. And people were taking these, uh, the, these garments and not only were they not giving them back, they were then you know, advertising it and rejoicing in the fact that they'd taken them. They were lying down in, in, in churches and altars uh, with these garments that they should have given back to the person that needs them. And finally, they were taking uh, massive fines off people. And uh, the, the theologians say that when they analyse this, what they reckon was they were, they were taking exorbitant fines for tiny crimes. For tiny misdemeanours, they were taking exorbitant fines and then using that money, the, the wealth were using that money to buy alcohol, to buy wine and live a life of luxury. And they were getting drunk while they did that, you know, in, in the house of God. Uh, which is ridiculous that they can be that brazen in what they were doing. But it shows the moral decay. It shows the fact that because times were good in Israel, they stopped focusing on God. They stopped looking at God's guidelines and started doing crazy stuff, thinking there was no judgment, there was no consequence. You know, in, in the New Testament, in Romans chapter 3, it says, the consequences of sin is death. The result of sin is death. There are consequences to living a life separated from God's laws. You see, God doesn't put these laws in to be judgmental. He puts these guidelines in so that you may have the best life possible. And when you separate yourself from God's laws, there are consequences. And Amos says, you know, in this situation, there is trouble ahead. 
there was obviously going to be trouble ahead for you as an individual, for us as a nation, for Southport as a town, if we live our lives outside the guidelines that God set down. And if we do more than that, if we purposely throw it in God's face with outrageous acts of indulgence and greed, there will be consequences. You know, when I was thinking about this, it reminded me of how James in the New Testament, James, the brother of Jesus, summarizes what he says is true religion. The word Christianity didn't exist there, but he's saying true Christianity is this. And James decides to summarize it in a way that I don't think that many of us would have done, you know, if we weren't really godly people. <laughs> because, I, you know, what, what in your mind summarizes true Christianity? And you might say, well, it's, you know, it's reading your Bible and praying. You know, it's been part of a church fellowship, which, don't get me wrong, are all great things. But James says exactly the same words. I'll rephrase that, he doesn't. James says virtually the same words as Amos says when it comes to this. In James chapter 1 at the end of it, he says, true Christianity is this. He said, it's looking after the widow's and the orphans, and living a righteous life. He says it's looking after those in need and being righteous, being pure, being people of integrity. And in the middle of, of Amos, chapter 5, the middle chapter, in the middle of the middle chapter, we get these words from God, and we'll expand on this in the coming weeks. God says this, let righteousness flow like a river, no, he doesn't. I need to pick it up now. That's a shame. I remembered it in the, in the half nine. I'm sure we all know uh, Let justice, you could have reminded me, let justice flow like a river and righteousness like a never failing stream. That's what God wants, you know, of Israel. That was the, that's what, that's the, 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 the nugget, you know, at the middle of Amos. Let justice flow like a river and righteousness like a never failing stream. What does God want? He wants justice for the oppressed. He wants justice for the poor. And he wants righteousness. And James pulls that together and says, this is what Christianity is about. It's about us looking after those less fortunate than us. You know, and I wonder, you know, how we take that on board for Christ church. I wonder, you know, if this morning you're somebody who's feeling outcast, feeling down, feeling oppressed, you know, whether we as a family around you, whether you feel supported by Christchurch, you know, if that's not how you feel, please, please make yourself known and allow us to make amends. We at Christchurch want to be a church that look after those in need. That needs to be our DNA. I want to encourage it to be your DNA. I want to encourage us to be a church that are filled with compassion for those that need care and filled with people of righteousness. But I also want to point something out here. I think we, we often misunderstand God and, and give God a, a bad deal here. God does not rush in to judgment. Look at these verses. If you, if you remember the story of uh, Jonah and Nineveh, it's a fantastic story. 
It's a hilarious story. It's a sad story. God says to Jonah, go and tell Nineveh they need to repent. They've got to change. They've got to turn around. What they're doing is bad. And if you don't change, judgment will come. And Jonah says, no, I don't want to do that, God. I know what you like. If I go and preach that they've got to change, they'll change. And then you won't judge them. And I want them judged. So I'm not going to go. You know, so he, he shoves off, you know, the story. If you don't know it, read it. It's a fantastic story. God says this to Jonah. Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell the right hand from the left hand. And they've got many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? God says to Jonah, I love that city. My son is going to die for that city. Should I not be concerned about them and about their animals? And guess what? Eventually... I'm blowing the punchline here. Jonah does go to Nineveh. He does preach to them. They do repent. And the judgment doesn't come. Or what about Ezekiel? See what Ezekiel 18 says about God. Or this is what God says. Do I take any pleasure in the death of the wicked? Declares the sovereign Lord. Rather, am I not pleased when they turn from their ways and live? So they might be wicked, but if they turn from the ways they live. Or in Second Peter, Peter says this, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. As some of you understand slowness, he's patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You see, it's not that God slams judgment on people. God gives opportunity upon opportunity upon opportunity for us to change and not receive the consequences of our actions. The consequences of an action, of a life and actions separate against God's ways is death. But we're told in John 3.16 that God so loved us, so loved the people of Southport, that he gave Jesus that whosoever believes in him by the people of Christ Church Southport telling them won't perish, won't die, but will live forever. That's a rough paraphrase of John 3.16. John 3.16 is saying that actually, if you don't want to get the consequences of your sin, of your actions, then Change. And we're involved in that. We need to be involved in encouraging and showing and revealing to people how they can change. So what is God's desire? God's desire is for Israel and for Judah and for the surrounding nations and for you and for Southport is that we repent, we change, we turn around, we think differently and we come into relationship with them. You see, what's really important to God is integrity. Uh, I, I chose a, a slide for integrity, and it's a big, heavy thing, because integrity is a big, heavy thing. Integrity is not some selfish virtue that makes you feel good. Integrity keeps you in relationship with God. 
Integrity keeps you available to be used by God. You see, when we turn away from God and start doing things our way, we end up in not in communication. If we're not in communication with God, we're not available to him. Integrity prevents hypocrisy and allows you to be a positive witness. You see, if you're a Christian, you're going to be a witness. Just maybe not all the time a good witness. And a person who's living a life of integrity you know, will allow you to remain a positive witness. I once read a, a definition of integrity. Is integrity is what you do when nobody's watching. Uh, or integrity is what you think when no one's listening. But the trouble is, you know, is, you know, with people who live a, you know, a two, hypocrisy means two-faced, having two different faces that depending on where we are, you know, that leads to a separation from God. We, we turn away from God, like Adam and Eve in the garden. They knew they had sinned. They didn't want to repent. They turned away from God. Integrity allows you to be an asset to society. Our society needs people of integrity. Southport needs people of integrity. We need local governors that are people of integrity. We need businessmen and women that are people of integrity. In every aspect of our social life, we need people of integrity. And that comes through living a relationship with God. Your personal integrity may allow you to be a conduit for people to get to know God. So it's really important that we, we self-appraise that and, and look at that situation. Final point, you'll be pleased to hear. We're not doing all that bad, are we? If you look at the, the, the Judah's prophecy, if you look at the prophecy of, of Judah, you know, they weren't really condemned for doing loads of bad things. They were condemned for not doing. It was actually, I don't know if you, you've, you've heard the phrase, silence is golden. You probably like that phrase if you've got lots of children, don't you? Uh, silence is golden. But in this situation, silence is ungolden. Because what was happening was, you know, life was going well in Judah. And what was happening was they were stopping communicating with God. I don't know about you, but for me, this is a biggie. This is a, a, a biggie for me. When times are difficult, it's easy to draw to God and seek God and need God's help and want God. But when times are great, it's easy to think you don't need God. And suddenly you get ungolden silence. When times are tough, I find it's easy to get stuck into my Bible and have long times praying and chatting to God. When times are good, I can praise God, but do I spend the time with God behind closed doors or is there ungolden silence? Ungolden silence leads to problems with your relationship with God. And what happened here is that Judah were having a good time. And they stopped obeying God's laws. It says they stopped listening to God. And as I was thinking about this, I, the analogy that came to my mind was frogs, obviously. Um, I'm sure it came to your mind that you were thinking, when's going to get on to frogs? You know, but if I put up this picture, it may, it may come a bit clearer to you. You know, I don't know if you know how frogs are cooked, but, but frogs are reasonably stupid. Maybe that's how I can relate to them. But if you boil a pan of boiling water and chuck in a frog to, to cook it, 
it will jump out and go, hey, this water's hot, I'm not going in this. But if you chuck a frog into cool water and then put it under the, 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 the gas and bring the temperature up, it doesn't realise the temperature is increasing and then you can cook your frog and boil your frog and have your frog's legs. I've never had frog's legs. Have had frog's legs? A few people, right? Yeah. But not for me, but anyway, that's how you cook a frog. You do it slowly and the frog doesn't realise what's happening. And before you know it, the frog's dead. Do you get the analogy? You know, very few people make a decision like this to walk away from God to stop believing in God, to stop having a close relationship with God. It happens on a slow burner. And slowly, 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 you know, we start parting. The ungolden silence lasts for longer. And suddenly you realise you're no longer in a relationship with God. You're no longer part of a church family. You made decisions, stupid decisions, you know, but they were small ones. But they just carry on happening until eventually you're dead. You're spiritually dead, just like the frogs. So I want to encourage you this morning to not be like the frogs. Yeah, please remember that. Don't be like the frogs. Now, that's not a racist comment just for the video. I love the French. I love the French, right? Just be clear here. Uh, You know, do not be like frogs. Do not, by slow, slow process, end up away. You see, Christ says, I've come to me of life, an abundant life. The way that we live life in its fullness is living a life with God. You know, day by day. So I'm going to ask the band, are we having a bit more worship, are we? Yeah. I'm going to ask the band to, get, to, come, to come back up. And as we, as we just sing uh, another couple of songs, I just want you to reflect on some stuff that you may want to get some prayer about this morning. You may want to say, I want to deal with this. I, I want to just discuss this and pray with this with somebody. If you're somebody that you realize that you've had a tendency, a tendency to smugness, to enjoying the pain of others, enjoying the fact that you're not where they're at, you know, whatever the reason is, you know, if you want to deal with that, you know, please come forward for prayer. There'll be people across on this left-hand side during the, this time of worship to come and receive you. Or if you're somebody, you realise that actually you've been basking in reflected glory. You're somebody who's living off somebody else's spiritual life or even living off your own historical spiritual life, previous glory. You know, come forward for prayer about that. You know, or if you realise you've got the wrong attitude towards those less fortunate, that, that your heart doesn't pour out, you know, the way that James summarises, you know, true Christianity. And you want to draw a line under that. You want, a, a, you know, an anointing of the Holy Spirit, a, a fresh impetus and a, 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 a change in your motivation. Please come forward for that this morning. You know, or if you're somebody, you know, you're thinking that actually, you know, you, you may be sat in some water that's getting quite warm. Yeah? You know, and you just need to make a decision to, to come back to God to live a life of integrity, to, to live a life where you're staying close to God. You want to get out the frying pan but not into the fire. You want to just start walking with God. Just come forward during, during this time of worship, you know, so that people can pray for you. We can draw lines in the sand. We can start again. The great thing is with God is he stands there with our arms open. There's always more what we can do with our relationship with God. There's always further hills we can climb in our relationship with God. You know, God is not there ever as a judgmental, you know, father 
who's going to condemn us for what we've done. He's there with open arms, like the prodigal son story, to say, welcome. You know, let's get on and let's do great things. We as a church need to be a church filled with people of integrity so that we can fulfill our vision and do the things in Southport that God needs us and wants us to do. Thank you.